week we talked about you can recognize unhappiness in your life coming before it ever gets there if you can learn to read the writing that's on the wall. And so all of those uh, sessions are online. It's also based loosely on a series by Andy Stanley, and you can go and find that series as well, the Happy Series. And just if there's something that has intrigued you, just to take some time to just spend some time uh, uh, listening to it, putting it in your heart, and seeing it... uh, uh, outflow into your life. So we're just going to jump right in this morning to the, to the final part of this uh, happy series. And I want to start off where we began. We began this series acknowledging and understanding that every one of us is on a pursuit of happiness. We all want to be happier than, than we currently are. We feel like there's something, there's always something we're, we're kind of looking for. And our natural tendency in that is to focus on the here and the now. To look at today and think, you know, I don't feel very happy today. I want to be happy. I deserve to be happy is some of the things we talked about early in the series. And we think about it's the moment today. We're going to do something now. And so we're kind of looking at our lives through a magnifying glass. And we try and solve that problem ourselves. I want to be happy now. So I have to do something now to be happy now. We make those decisions that do make us a little bit happy now. Sometimes, not always, but down the road leave us incredibly unhappy. And so this morning... Um, we want to start off maybe on a little bit of an unhappy note, but we'll take it around at the end so that you leave here smiling. So uh, today I want to challenge you not to just look so, so closely at today and how you're feeling in the moment, but to look down the road further, to grab out the binoculars and look further down the road to what you're, what you're hoping to see. As you look down the road saying, yeah, true happiness is something I have to sow for. What do I have to do today to, so that's going to change down there? Not what do I do today that's going to change today? What are, you, what are you sowing for down the road in your life? When you're planting um, plants, you know, as you plant a garden, you're thinking months in advance. When you plant something, you're thinking, okay, it has enough time to grow. You don't plant anything in September because you realize it's not going to have enough time to grow for the harvest because you're thinking ahead when you plant something in the spring. When you plant like uh, asparagus or other stuff, you're thinking four years down the road. When you plant shrubs in front of your house, you're thinking, well, they're tiny little things now, but I'm thinking four years, five years down the road, it's going to fill out my front garden. When you plant a tree, you need to think decades down the road. You don't plant like a willow tree and right, you know, close to your cistern or whatever. And, and all of a sudden, you know, decades down the road, you're like, man, it just took out my whole basement. Like the roots are everywhere. You think those, well, you're supposed to think those things through when you, when you plant a tree. But what about our lives? How often do you actually sit down and think about down the road, like well down the road? Um, when's the last time you sat down and thought about 2017? Have you thought and said, you know, this is where I'd like to hopefully see myself in 2017. How about, have you ever sat down and thought about what 10 years from now looks like? Thought down, I'm like, 10 years from now, my, kid, my, my daughter's going to be 19. I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to think about that. You know, I'm like, oh, uh, maybe if I don't think about it, it won't happen, right? It's, and for some of you, you know, you spent your time, you know, thinking about your golden years, Maybe some of you are in those years. And it's not the David Bowie song. If you know that song, you're probably in your golden years. But uh, the, the, the golden years, the end, of, the end of life, many think about that in relation to retirement. They're like, how much money do I have to save to get to this, to this time where I'm able to retire? And we, we kind of think about that. But what we learn um, from, uh, from, from the Word, and as we're going through this morning, you're going to realize it's not about how you start that matters, but how you finish. It's somewhere down the road that matters more than what's happening in the moment. And so as I was reading this week, um, I've been reading through the Bible uh, just kind of chronologically. And I'm at this place in Chronicles right now. And as I was reading through Chronicles is like uh, an Old Testament, uh, just a record of, of the, the kings of Israel and the stuff they did, who they killed and what kinds of countries they conquered and what things they built. And there was this guy named Jehoram who was 
Solomon's grandson. And as I was reading his story in 2 Chronicles 21, I got to the end of his story and it says, and, uh, you know, at the end of his life, it says he, he died. And it said this, no one was sorry when he died. I was like, I read that. I'm like, what? No one was sorry when he died. They wrote that about this guy. I'm like, why was no one sorry that he died? That just seems terrible. Then I read back again because I'd kind of skimmed through. And I was like, man, this guy's a real dirtbag. Like the stuff that he did. No wonder nobody cared that he, that he died. And then I thought this moment, what are people going to say about me? It's going to be like Mark Vanderweer died. And it'll be like, and nobody cared that he died. I was like, that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? I remember Wes doing a funeral once, and he said, you know, he went to meet with the family and said, hey, we want you to do all the talking. And he's like, okay, well, tell me some stories. Tell me about this person. And all they could tell him was he was a hard worker. That was all. He's like, how am I supposed to talk for 20 minutes about he was a hard worker? And he realized that no matter how hard he tried, he could not get anything out. They had nothing good to say about this person. And that man, you realize, never thought about that moment in his life that he wasn't there for, but where people would be talking about it. What did I sow? for that moment in, in, in my life. And we often live our lives thinking that this life is all that there is. It's just about here. It's just about what happens here. But we learn that Jesus and the New Testament writers, they challenge us to think even beyond that point. Not just thinking about retirement, not just thinking about what's going to be said when, when uh, my life is over, what will be said in my life. But what about after that? It says that our life is like a vapor of steam compared to eternity. That it's like the, the kettle that, you know, it's once it's it's there and then it's gone. That's what our lives are like. We think it's like this long time. He says, it's really not. Compared to eternity, that's all you got. And for most of us, we're like, we just live for the steam. It's all about the steam. It's the here and now. It's what I do now. That's all that matters. And we don't ever really think about the idea of, of way down the road. What has been your thoughts about your real future? which is after this moment of steam is over. Because the truth is, 100% of us, everyone is going to meet our maker someday. Have you pictured what that moment will be like? As I read through Francis Chan's book on marriage, he describes that moment where you stand before God, and it's like, what's that going to be like? The first time I meet him, I'm going to have to explain some of the things that I, that I did while I was here. It'd probably be a good idea to think about the things I'm doing here if I know I'm going to explain them at some point. And it's not going to be this terrible thing. It's not that he's just looking at, you know, all the negative things. But what about the positive things? What are the things that I did for him? Will it be a happy meeting? Psalms uh, uh, 16, the psalmist wrote this. He says, in, the pres- in his presence, there's fullness of joy. We think about heaven and eternity. There's a fullness of joy there. True happiness, the, the ultimate of it. He says, it's there, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. In Matthew 25, Jesus was saying, you know, at the end of, uh, at the end of life, that where, where he says to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. In Matthew 5, where we were looking at a couple of weeks ago, we are talking about blessed, 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 happy are the people. The last one says, happy are the persecuted. But he says this, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great's your reward. And sometimes we don't really think that far in advance. We think about here. But what decisions would we make in our life and what things wouldn't matter all that much if we thought about eternity? It doesn't matter how many times the Leafs don't win the cup in light of eternity. It, it does. I was, uh, we were talking about that on the way home. You know, there's certain things we like, oh, we could spend a lot of time on, but in light of eternity, it won't matter much. What will matter? 
What will matter in light of eternity? Will it matter that, you know, you were kind of in a marriage that was struggling a little bit and you're like, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to hold on for the sake of, uh, for the sake of my, my kids and for the sake of the life that I'm living, I, I'm going to, I'm going to fight for it because in light of eternity, this time is short. For some of you, it's like certain things that you're like, you know, you, you're waiting for, hoping for and, and kind of struggling with, but you're like, you know what, if I think about this in the light of eternity, I'm going to keep on pressing on because the things that, quitting, quitting's never going to, going to um, uh, benefit what's down the road. And oftentimes, we don't think about it. And so this morning, we're talking about it's going to seem a little counterintuitive to you. You're going to be like, it's a little bit backwards. And yet, I want to encourage you to, to think about that backwards uh, moment, and we'll bring it around at the end. So in light of next year, the next 10 years of your life, the golden years of your retirement age or eternity, what am I going to do with these three things? My time, my talent, my treasure. I was at a, um, I, uh, there was a funeral uh, for one of um, uh, a stepsister of one of uh, uh, the family members of our church in the last uh, couple of weeks, and it was just a, an, a young girl, 23 years old. And and as I talked to them about the funeral, uh, she the, the the sister said to me, she says, "You know what? There, as we were there, as they talked about her life, it was just a powerful, powerful um, uh, example of how a person lived their life for the Lord." But they said this: they said at that place that life is not measured by length, but by the depth. That our lives are not measured by how many days they are, but, but by the depth of our lives. And so as I thought about it, and I thought, you know, we're not sure of the amount of time that we have on this planet, but we do get to decide what we do with, those, uh, with the time that we have. Each and every day is a gift. And so sometimes we don't think about that because as we go through every day after every day, we're like, we just assume the next one's coming. It's just the way we're wired. A couple of years ago, I felt really strongly that, you know, I wanted my kids to know that I'm proud of them, and I just didn't say it enough. So I put a reminder on my phone that would remind me at 11 a.m. every morning, tell their kids you're proud of them. Not because I wasn't proud of them, because I had to tell them. And then at noon, it would say, tell Beth why you love her. And so I'd, you know, oh, yeah, right, I love her. I just want her to know. And so I would tell her, and she's like, oh, your phone dinged again. And I'd be like, yeah, but I, but I mean it. And, but you know what I realized now as I saw it this week, I was like, oh, those things kind of come up, those notifications, and Apple gives you the opportunity to ignore, ignore or whatever. So I just push the buttons, ignore, done, gone. And uh, as, as some of those things pass, it's like, because I see it all the time, it's no longer like that gripping thing. And the same thing happens with our days. As we have day after day, we don't often realize, wow, that was a gift. It's not like you wake up in the morning like, oh, I'm alive. Oh, God, thank you that I'm alive today and I can live this day for you. We don't often do that naturally, but we each of us have 1,440 minutes in a day. What did I do with those minutes? Everybody's got the same amount. How many of them did I sleep away? How many of them did I eat away? How many of them did I spend in the pursuit of happiness today? See, because I normally don't wake up feeling happy. I wake up more like this guy. And then the pursuit of happiness begins. It usually starts with Tim Horton's coffee, and then it moves on to the next things. If I don't actually rein my, my, my thoughts in, that's just kind of the normal way we go. Time can affect our happiness in such a huge way. One of the other ways it affects you in a big way is this word procrastination. Procrastination, you know, for me, it's like sometimes it's so, I'm preaching to myself here is put stuff off until tomorrow because then I can put it off till the next day. And, and then uh, I realize that it leads to stress and stress leads to unhappiness and that this procrastination becomes a thief of my time. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul wrote to the Ephesian believers and he said this to them. He says, see that you then that you walk circumspectly. And you're like, what's that? We'll see in a second. He says, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. He says, walk circumspectly, walk accurately and diligently and intentionally in your day. 
This idea of thinking about my date, that's all I've got. I've only got this day once. I'm going to do something intentional with it. And he says, redeem the time. And uh, in Blue Letter Bible, if you go on there, you can check out what some of these phrases and words mean. And he writes this. It says this. It's, uh, redeeming the time is to make wise and sacred use of every opportunity for doing good. To take the opportunity to do good. So that zeal and well-doing, again, something about us doing, are as it were the purchase money by which we make the time our own. That idea of like seize the day, seize the moment, and by intentionally doing something with the moment, you've actually purchased that time for yourself. It says um, Corey Ten Boom, who wrote The Hiding Place and struggled through, uh, through the uh, Holocaust, wrote this, the measure of a life after all is not the duration, but it's donation. Sometimes we, we think that all of our time that we've been given is just for us, that our time is spent just on us. And he's saying, how can you leverage your time for others? This gift of time, how can you use it for something other than you? And, and what I'm going to share right now might make you think, well, this is like, you know, because one of the ways is volunteering. And as you hear that, you're like, oh, man, okay, he's probably saying this because the church needs more volunteers. And we would always love to have more volunteers, but that's not why I'm saying this. And some of you think, man, maybe he's supposed to say that. You know, the board must have told him, you know, we pay you too much. Find more people to do other work, right? Whatever it is. Um, this I, thoughts is nothing to do with that at all. But it's this, it's such an interesting thought. As you think about um, volunteering, it's amazing that the benefits there are that come from volunteering for us naturally. There's all kinds of studies. You just go home and Google it. You'll be, you'll be reading all day about different things. There's a study that the London School of Economics did where they just said, we want to measure volunteering and happiness. How do those two things correlate? And so they took a large group of American adults and they said, hey, we want you guys to volunteer. And they took this group would not describe themselves as very happy people when they started, but they measured it. And so those who volunteered once a month, 7% of the, that group, all of a sudden, 7% more of them were very happy because they volunteered once a month. They weren't doing anything different. Then they took, the, they took some more measurements and realized that, that um, 12% um, were very happy because they volunteered every other week. And for those who weekly volunteered, 16% said they were very happy. And it was because of this, this, this definite tie between the two that happiness was tied to doing something for someone else, using your time not just for you but for others. And so they realized that there were certain things that in this group of people that went down. The things that went down was depression. In this group of people, the heart disease went down. Stress went down. And in the teens who were volunteering, drug use, and unplanned pregnancies went down. They went so far as to say, you should encourage your teens to volunteer even if they do it with a bad attitude. It will be good for them. And you think, well, if I have teens, they all have a bad attitude about everything. You kind of got to force them to do anything. He says, it's worth it for them. It's amazing just by doing something for someone else. These things happen. That's what went down. Here's what went up. The thing, psychological well-being, physical health. Your, your physical health was tied directly to this idea of, of volunteering. Self-esteem, longevity, and quality of life all went up. And I'm not here this morning to kind of shake my finger at, at saying, you guys need to volunteer, uh, and preferably here. I just, our church is full of amazing volunteers. You saw them as you were coming in. Some are smiling at the cafe. As we're, you know, go, uh, uh, so often you guys tell me about each other. You're like, those, oh, man, the people at the cafe today, they were like, they were awesome. I love that they brought the baked goods. I love that they, you know, brought the, uh, the Dutch boater kook and, and whatever else. You know, they even gave EB some, but they saved me a piece. So, uh, whatever, you know, some are saying, oh, you know, I love it when those people are leading worship. I love it when, you know, the, the, that kid's ministry worker, they just get my 
my kid. It's so, it's so such a blessing to be able to raise my kids with people like that in their lives. I just want to encourage you that you guys are doing so well with something like this. But for so often, we think our time's our own and, and realizing that it affects our own happiness when we think that it's just for us. What's strangely interesting is how emptying yourself can, can, uh, for others leaves you so full. It's strange to think by emptying myself for others that it leaves us full, and we'll come back to why that is. The second one's talent. We all have talent, unique talents. I found some of these. I, I love this guy. You know, I, I wish I could do that. I wish I had a dog that could do that. And then, you know, maybe you've seen Mr. Bean on the beach changing into a bathing suit, um, and he can do it without taking off any clothes because there's other people watching. Incredible talent. Uh, maybe for you, uh, you were here when we had a talent night at church, and, and here's the reason we don't do it anymore. That's Bob and Joe, uh, and they're really good whistlers. Um, so these, these guys, you know, they have unique talents. But all of you, if you think about it, you all have talents, unique talents. Have you ever thought about why you have the talents that you have? Why do you have the unique giftings that you have? Do you realize that there's no one else on the planet who's like you or who's ever going to be exactly like you? Never. Amen. Some last night were like, thank God. And I'm like, you're not that bad. Uh, but this, this thought that there's never going to be anyone else like you. And for some, they look at their uniqueness and like, oh, I don't, really, I don't like that. I remember growing up and hating things about me that, that were unique. And I was like, oh, you know, I just wish I could be more like others. And as you read through Psalm 139, it's incredible because the psalmist describes that, you know what, you were hand-knit in the womb of your mom. You weren't just the, the plan of your parents. God was at work creating you to be the very person that you are for a reason. He's given you incredible talents and things that, that no one else is going to be able to do. That mixture is unique to you, and it's for a purpose. And if you're ever unhappy with yourself, you know, just realize that you're covered in the fingerprints of God. He was at work making you for who you are. See, the thing is, as we get our talents and we think, you know, sometimes we think that our talent was meant to make us famous. That it was like the things we're good at it's to make us famous or popular or wealthy. It's for us. That's why, God gave, that's why God made me good at this. And you see great actors, great hockey players, great um, uh, other sports stars, great people in the cooking world. They, they get to this place where it takes them to the height where everyone else is looking at them. So often they will say that there's no happiness in the fame. That it's not that they can't, famous people can't be happy, but the happiness is not tied to them being famous. Because our talents and our gifts were never meant for our glory or for our own good. Paul writes to the Romans, and he writes about this. He writes to them, and uh, uh, he writes to them, tells them here, this is what you are, but here's why. It says this, in his grace, God has given us, and that's each of us, different gifts for doing certain things well. So he says, you all have them. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy, which is basically just the idea of speaking publicly, if he's given you that idea, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, well, then serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. He explains to them that each and every one of you has unique gifts and talents, but the, the, the key to all of them is that they're for others. So often we think that those things tie to us. And what's really interesting is that as they study, you know, the most fulfilling jobs, people are so often like, if I could just get the job that I, that I like, then, it, you know, it's gonna, um, I'm going to feel happy. So they said, let's find out what those jobs are. What are the most fulfilling jobs? You know what they found? 
number one, top, most fulfilling job in the world is pastor of Kingsway Church. And then after, after, that, after that, there was a few other ones. This was, these were the ones, jobs of caring for others. Caring for others was the number one thing because once they had the amount of money, it didn't matter what they made. As long as they made enough to meet their needs, the caring for others was the ones that found that most fulfilling. Teaching others was number two. Protecting others was number three. Notice anything about all three of those? They all have this one word in there, others. The most fulfilling job you could have is in relation to others, and creative pursuits was the fourth one. Photography, art, those kind of different things. Uh, but they said this idea that the top three had everything to do with others, and this was not Bible. This was just natural, the study of, of, our, of our happiness. So my question for, for, for you and for me is, how can I leverage the gifts and talents that God has given me for the benefit of others? Matthew 5, Jesus was talking to the disciples, and he, and he was saying to them, it's, it's right after we, the, the whole happy are all of these people. He wrote this. He says, uh, he says, you're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. He says, you, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. He says, remember this. The city shines bright. The light shines bright. He says, instead, that lamp's placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And in that same way that those things shine, he says, let your good deeds shine for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Not that everyone's going to say, wow, you're such an amazing guy, but it's going to point their eyes to somebody greater because they're like, who does stuff like that? Who lives like that? In our small group, and I would encourage every one of you to become part of a small group. It is like it challenges you in ways that are just so for your good. But my small group, we started. I joined this one in Simcoe a couple um, um, number of months ago, and they gave out these cards. And they said, "This week, we want to challenge you to go out, do a random act of kindness for somebody, and then give them this card that says, enjoy this random act of kindness sponsored by the Bridge Church.'" And I was like, "I'm not doing that." Like, that's going to be awkward, you know? I'm going to go up and say, you know, I'm going to do something for someone, and then I'm going to hand them a card. You know, like, I'm not doing that. And so I decided on the way home, I'm driving with a guy, a friend of mine. Um, it was, it, his name rhymes with Lake, just in case you know him. So we go home, and we both have this bad attitude. We're telling each other, we're not going back. That's dumb. We're not doing that. And then halfway home, I realized, just God's being, Mark, you joined this group to be stretched and to learn new things. I was like, yeah, I did. I was like, Lake, we're going to, I'm going to go back. And he's like, okay, I might. Then the next week we went back and we're like, they said, so we thought it was a one-time deal. And the next week they're like, so this week we want you to go and do random acts of kindness. I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, you know. And I'm like, I don't want to do this. And what they were helping us realize is that so very, very rarely do we actually look for these opportunities to do something for someone else. But as this time's gone on, I've been doing this for weeks and weeks and weeks, I just started to realize it becomes sort of second nature that things just all of a sudden you hear these opportunities or see them, you're like, yeah, I can do something about that. So this week, uh, last weekend after church, I was single parenting and I decided I don't want to cook anymore or going to Wendy's with the kids after church. So we went to Wendy's and uh, as I was there, we, uh, my brother-in-law was with me and our, our kids were all there and they were all in that play area. We could hear all the screaming. We're like, okay, so we're trying to order. And being Dutch, I'm like, how can I feed four kids with two meals? And so I, I ordered two meals and, and it was like these nugget meals and, and I asked them, I was like, uh, can I have two extra cups? And they're like, no extra cups. I'm like, why? I have four kids, that I, and they're like, no, we can't give any extra cups. I'm sorry, we're not allowed to do that. Uh, it's because you fill your own. I was like, oh, darn, okay. But, but I have four children that are going to fight over these two cups. Can I trade two big cups in for four small cups? Fine, I can do that for you, but don't tell anybody. I was like, okay, no problem. And then I paid for my meal, and uh, there was like four bucks change or whatever. And I just told her, yeah, just keep the change. It's okay. 
she, and all of a sudden something happened. She just stopped and she looked at me and she was like, that's a lot of money. I'm like, it's $4. It's fine. And she, she's like, you don't understand. People don't tip like that at restaurants like this. This just doesn't happen. And I was like, well, you know what? God loves you. And she, she looks at me. She's like, I have this thing beside my bed that says, you know what? Good morning. Uh, you're going to face some struggles today. You're going to face some things today. But don't worry. I got that covered. You just live your life. Love God. I was like, oh, so you know him. Well, here, here, here he's saying you. he loves you, just so you know. And all of a sudden, she's like, well, I can split those nuggets into two packs each for you, so you have four. And then I can put, I'll get you four fries, but don't tell anybody. It's like, man, how far four bucks goes at Wendy's? I was like, this is awesome. And then there's this guy at the fry machine. He waves at me. He's like, hey, Mark, how come you never come visit me? So we're, we're chatting, and as I leave, I'm not thinking anything of it. But what happens? She's like, you know him. Who was that? And he's like, oh, he's the pastor of the church I don't go to anymore. And, and so they're talking back and forth. And, and then all of a sudden, he comes over to my table. And he's like, you know what? He tells me, explains to me what happened back after I left. And I was like, ah, that's cool. And I started talking to him. I was like, hey, you know, how are you doing? Where are you at? And he's, like, uh, he's kind of describing things. I was like, he's like, I kind of miss going. I was like, well, you know what? There's a great small group in this area. I'd love to invite you to come out. He's like, yeah, that, that would be really great. He's not really kind of out of place with the Lord right now. But it was this opportunity. He's like, yeah, he's he says, give me your number. I'm going to text you. Next time you're in Simcoe, let's do coffee. I want to talk to you more about this. I'm like, man, how far does four bucks go? And I'm like, just like smiling from ear to ear, grinning as I leave that place. Just something happened on the inside of me. And the thing is, we aren't accustomed to just looking for that every single day. We're always looking for what's going to make me happy next. It's crazy how doing something for someone else actually brings greater joy into your life. What's strangely interesting is how much happier you are doing something for someone else than getting something for yourself. Why is that? Come back to that last thought, treasure. Your time's using it for others. Your talent, leveraging it for others and your treasure. We hear that money won't make you happy. Have you heard that before? Money won't make you happy? Yeah, but none of us believe that. We don't. We're like, sure, you can say that, but just give me a million bucks and I'll take the test and see. You know, just try me on it. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, give me whatever and, and I'll, I'll spend it and see, you know, if I'm not that, that happy. But happiness is tied to our money and to our treasure, but it's not in the way that we think it is. Uh, and, and the problem is that what, hap- what happens for so many of us is we're tempted to think that all of our treasure is meant for our pleasure. That all the money we make because we worked hard for, it's for me. It's meant for me. That's why I worked for it. It's for me. And what happens is then we begin to think that there's something that we need. And, and a couple, I, and maybe it was two months ago, I started, I shared with you the story of my son Lincoln. He came into our bedroom first thing in the morning to wake us up with these words. Mom and dad, I need a transformer. I need this transformer. And I'm like, oh, Link, you know, no. And it's $20 and you have, you know, he's like, I have that much. I'm like, yeah, but you want to spend it on that? I need it. And, and so for days this went on. And finally we're like, okay, talk to Beth. I'm like, it's a good way for him to learn a lesson about money. Let's, we'll go. So we went to Walmart. He bought the transformer, spent 20 bucks on it. Well, this week he came into our room. He's like, wakes us up. I need a robo dog. My cousin Eden has RoboDog. I need a RoboDog. And I'm like, no. He's like, I need a RoboDog. And I'm like, no. And then Beth has this genius moment. She can think in the morning. And she says, uh, you know what, Link, what happened to that Transformer? I got bored of it and I gave it to Owen. And we're like, lucky to be Owen. Why don't we just wait for Owen to get bored of something and give you something? And we said, do you remember how you thought this was going to be everything? And, and, and now it's just gone? And all of a sudden it was like that moment kind of clicked on. He's like, 
you're right, maybe I don't need RoboDog. I thought, that is amazing. And then as I was preparing for this message, I was like, what's a RoboDog? So I Google RoboDog, and the picture comes up, and Link sees, he's like, I need a RoboDog. I'm like, oh, you know, here we got to go through all this again. But even as adults, we have that same thing. It's like that awareness of what we don't have. It's around the corner, like, I got to have it. I got to have it. You drive around Haldeman Motors parking lot looking at all those beautiful shiny, got to have them, man. I don't have that. And as you drive around, how many of you realize that, you know, as the catalogs come out, and as you're driving, looking at stuff, or you're looking around the parking lot, what other people have, just that feeling of they have it, but I don't, that doesn't necessarily make you happy. None of you are like, oh, I just feel better now that I've seen what everyone else has. That doesn't do it for us. So what, what do we do? We're like, I got to get what everyone else has. And so we buy it. And so often we spend our treasure on us because we think that's that moment that's going to make us happy. And then when the money runs out, we don't stop. I mean, that's what they used to do in our parents' days. You don't have cash. You don't buy anything. But we have credit. So we can buy stuff that we don't have money for to buy happiness we can't actually have. And so we just keep buying for ourselves, thinking, I got to have that. I got to have that. And then you get to the spot where the visa bill comes in. And how many of you, when your visa bill comes in, you're like, oh, man, I owe this much. And you're like, oh, that makes me so happy. I just can't, I can't imagine. I, I got to call my neighbor. Guess how much I owe? How much do you owe? Uh, we don't, right? It's like that, ugh. Whatever was happy is no longer And so as we think about this idea of if it's meant for our pleasure, it keeps leaving us unhappy, unhappy, unhappy. But if you're looking at the microscope or just at the the magnifying glass of your life, you miss this thing and you keep falling for it time after time. And so Jesus, he begins to teach and says, you know, this idea of money. He says the, the whole idea about money is that it can become your master. And he says it's not meant to be. So you need to tell your money who's master and realizing the way you do it is by giving. He says, the first time money comes in, don't wait for anything else. He says, give money away first. Just simply tells your money that it doesn't own you. You know, it's amazing how much joy is brought to somebody when they give. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but it's truly better to. Unbelievable. We don't believe that. Not in the way we live. But it's amazing that when you give something, how it how it changes something on the inside of you. The question is, how can I leverage my treasure for the benefit of others? Not in comparison to what other people give, but in comparison to what I have. Not giving it all away. That's not what he's saying. But how can I serve God and others with the money that I have in my hand? Because in the end, you can't take it with you. Matthew chapter 6, he says, don't store up treasures here. He says, don't store up treasures here. Don't try and buy all this stuff, stuff, and stuff because it just rots away. He's like, instead, seek his kingdom first. Use your money the way that he, that he tells you to, and you'll be storing up treasures in heaven. And, and so I ta- teach our kids this, uh, this method with three jars. We, t- we give them three jars when they get money. To, to number one, some goes in the give, and they give that money away. Second, it goes into the save jar, and they save, and the re- they live on the rest. This is something that Jesus and, and, and the Bible is teaches, and it's a genius idea, because here's why. When you use your treasure for your own pleasure, it leads to unhappiness. And you got to do it again. When you use your treasure for others, it actually brings joy to you in the moment. And it stores up this idea of joy for eternity. You're not earning it, but it's this whole thing of thinking down the road. That at the, the time you come to the end of your life, he says, well done, son. Well done, my daughter. You, you use what I, I gave you for the benefit of others. And it's amazing at, at how, how that brings joy into our lives. So what's strangely interesting is that it truly feels better to give than it does to receive. Why is it? Why is it that it, it, the opposite of what we're tempted to do is actually what, what we feel? Here's why. We were designed by our creator. We were designed by God uh, and made by him to live our lives away to give our lives away, to live them for the benefit of others. It's not natural. 
Selfishness, it's, selfishness feels natural in our life. We always want for us, but it's not by design. That's not how he designed us. We were not created to be all about us. And as long as you are all about you, you will never be truly happy. It's as we get to this place of realizing it's all about others, and we know this, but we're tempted. We're tempted each and every day to still go for this idea of make me happy now. I want to ask our um, ushers to come and um, bring the emblems of communion. I want to leave you with one last thought, and it's this. The question is this, not for you. The question I'm asking it to me, and I challenge you to ask yourself the same question. In light of my future, in light of my next year, in light of 10 years, in light of the end of my life, in the light of what's said about me at the end, and in light of my eternity, how can I leverage my time, my talent, and my treasure for that? How can I leverage what I have for that? One last illustration. Uh, the picture here, the Dead Sea. You may have heard of this, this illustration before, but here's the Dead Sea in Israel. The Dead Sea is at the end of the Jordan River. And uh, this place is, nothing lives here. As you can see, all of, there's nothing even lives around it. It's so saturated with the salts and the, uh, uh, the other um, uh, bacteria and chemicals and nothing, nothing can survive in this place. The interesting thing about the Dead Sea is that it's so low. It's so, uh, so, um, so, so uh, low on the water table that water only flows in. Nothing ever flows out. Water flows in, but, but nowhere else uh, can it go, and it becomes dead. It's shrinking as well. Every year, it's less and less of this water uh, is in the Dead Sea. But if you go 87 miles away, thank you, you come to the Sea of Galilee, 87 miles to the Sea of Galilee. As you look around the Sea of Galilee, not only is the sea itself full of life, full of fish, incredible fishing industries, but you look at the land around it. It's got life all around it. Simply for this reason, that water comes in through the Jordan River and goes out through the Jordan River on the other side. And even this is just a picture of us, that we were designed to live with an open hand. Live with an open hand with what we've, uh, what's been put into our lives. And here's the challenge. Here's the big takeaway for today. What are you and what am I going to do to find a way to give our lives away? Our, what are we going to do today to find a way to live our lives away for someone else? So many of you have done that already in certain areas. But the challenge, as I read through some of these things, was the challenge was for me. Uh, that, that the idea is this. I, I love um, like those epic movies like Gladiator. There's this line in Gladiator. I had it on my Facebook when I had Facebook, but it said this, what we do in life echoes in eternity. This reminder that what we do here doesn't matter just for here, but it echoes in eternity. It's not a Christian quote, but it's a, definitely a godly thought. This idea of what I do now matters for eternity. So what will I do with my time? What will I do with my treasure? What will I do with my talents that's going to matter for eternity? What will you do? Because you don't get any of that back. And in our pursuit of true happiness, these are the things that actually matter. And the last thought is this. It's what Jesus did. As they're handing out these emblems around you, do you realize that Jesus lived out his life and gave out his life for the benefit of others, including you and me? Hebrews chapter 12 says that he endured the cross. You think about going through the cross and the whipping and the, the, the crown of thorns and being nailed to a, to a wooden cross and being God and just saying, I don't have to do this. I'm done. This is the, that's, that's it. That's the last straw. I'm just, I'm stopping. What kept him there? 
It says in Hebrews 2, it was for the joy that was set before him, that he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and now seated at the right hand of the Father. He's like, I'm going to give my life away because there's joy on the other side of it. You know what the joy is? The chance, the opportunity to have a relationship with you, to have that restored again, that to rescue and, and pay for the sin of the world. If Jesus had chosen to the happy feeling in the moment, we'd have no hope. He gave his life so that we could have peace with God. And we talked about that in week two, that peace with God leads to true happiness in our lives. It says he laid down his life for his friends. He gave away his life for the benefit of others. And what an amazing benefit that is for you and for me. In Romans 5, he says, it's by one man's sacrifice that many were made righteous. I'm one of those. You're one of those. It was because he gave his life away for the benefit of others. He lived this out. But here's the thought. He lived this out by living his life away and then said to you and to me and to those then, he said, come, follow me. Not say a prayer and say, hey, you know what? Okay, I said a prayer. Now I'm a Christian. He said, come, follow me. Lose your life for my sake. Not die. Live your life now here for my sake. Live your life for my sake and you'll gain it all. You'll gain that true happiness. The thing that you're actually thinking about, you'll gain that. The thing you're pursuing that you can't ever find, he said, come follow me. For those of you, maybe you're like me, you look back and like, there's a lot of my life that I haven't done that. That's where his amazing grace is incredible and says, you know what, I got that. I covered that. You couldn't do it, so I did it for you. I sacrificed my life for that. But it's beyond that. It's now come follow me. So as he sat down with his followers that night, the night that he gave his life on the cross, he said to them, he handed them some bread, and he said, it's normal bread, but I want you to think about it differently. I want you to realize that my body was broken for you. My body was broken for you. And put your name in there. My body was broken for you, Mark, for you, Patrick, for you, Lindsay, for you, Deb. My body was broken for you. And every time you take a piece of bread and you eat it, remember that. Just remember that this thing has been done and, and do this in remembrance of me. And as we take this, we're actively stepping out and following what he asked us to do. And so this morning, we just see that, Jesus, we thank you for this. And we do this to remember you and in just in incredible gratitude for what you've done for us. And then it says he took a cup and gave thanks for it. And he took the cup and he said to his followers then, he said, this, it's, it's a new deal. It's a new covenant. He says, by me giving my life, you are completely forgiven. Everything that you've done wrong can be washed away simply in my sacrifice. If you'll simply trust me in that, it is all taken care of. I don't know about you, but I got lots of stuff that I'm thankful it gets washed away with this. Something as you go through your day to just remember and be thankful for and say, Jesus, you know what? I'm going to follow you because you deserve it. You took, you took my brokenness and gave me the chance to live again. Thank you for that. How can I use what you've given me for the benefit of others and for the glory of you? Today, we take this just remembering what he's done for us. It was 2,000 years ago, but it matters today. So I want to challenge you to say thank you to him for that. Man. God, you're incredible. You really are. That you saw us. <laughs> Time's not an issue for you. You knew us before we were born. You saw us 2,000 years ago and knew that we were going to need a Savior. Thank you for loving me and loving us enough to send your son. Jesus, thank you for not giving up, but for living and giving your life away. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit to help us to do the same. So as we go out from this place, Lord, would you just give us opportunities and show us and point us in the ways that you desire for us to, to, to live our lives out for others and for you. 
And I just pray that as we hear your voice, we'd be quick to respond to that and that people would just see you through our lives. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this moment together. Thank you for this opportunity to be your family. Thanks for building the church and for creating this, uh, this group that we can do life with. And Father, I pray over every person and every family in this place that they'd experience your peace and your presence, your joy, and your spirit in and through their lives this week as they, as they live it out for you. It's in your name, for your glory we pray. Amen.